Hey, all heart listeners. So today we're going to have something really special, completely different. Um, A lot of you requested that we have Adrienne Marie Brown on to talk about her book, Pleasure Activism. And she's here and she graciously spent an hour with us just talking about drugs and sex and the shadow and the conversation is just incredible. So You know, if you haven't gotten pleasure activism yet, get it out. (laughs) Go to AK Press and and order it and read it after you listen to this. If you've already listened, we can't wait to hear what you think about it. And Thea and I will be back the next time to talk more about pleasure and our pleasure journey. So thanks for listening. Let us know how you feel. Adrian, we're so happy that you're on our podcast. Oh, it's such an honor. It's yeah, such an honor. Like I've been like geeking out, reading reading the book, <laughs> yes, reading yes. interviews, listening to other interviews. <laughs> Name dropping to our friends that you'll be on the podcast. <laughs> once once again, did you know? Oh. Do you know who we're gonna have on our show? Do you not did we mention? But you know <laughs> <laughs> the reason why it's exciting is because folks asked for you to be on the show. So it wasn't Aww. even our idea. They yeah. were like, hey, Thanks, this is humans. a podcast about <laughs> pleasure. Yeah, you have to have yeah. her on. I mean, I agree. <laughs> and I you got I like, agree. you got two. And these are the conversations I want to be a part of. So Yeah, and we're two moms and you got us to read mm. a book. Like I was reading a, a book. book. <laughs> you, you have me reading a 400. So, uh, hold on, hold, hold on, baby. Hold on. It's I'm a long one too. <laughs> it's a long book. No audio. It's long, not yet. It's it, coming. But okay. it's also just like, you know, it's hard. It's long to read because you're highlighting every like, yeah. and you're like, that's what I'm talking about. Like, that, see, I mm-hmm. said that. Remember I had said, then you got to stop and call your friend talk about, see, <laughs> it's right here yes. on page such that's and such. So that's great. it is a very interactive <laughs> it experience. Is. Like, it's not something you just barrel through. So I wanted to just start with thanking you for being here. Everyone, this is Adrian Marie Brown. We've just geeked out and <laughs> yeah. forgot to introduce you. <laughs> 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 They're like, now who is she? Right. Wonder. <laughs> we know as the audience. <laughs> We're going to change our format a little today just so we have more time Ooh. to talk with you. And Thank I you. wanted to say, yeah. like, the biggest first thing I wanted to tell you, like, actually reading the book gave me pleasure. Mm-hmm. Like, the process mm-hmm. in and of itself. And I, my yeah. intention is that this podcast do the same thing you know that we feel good while we're doing it yeah and that folks feel good while they're listening all around (laughs) all around so we're really into the idea of the pleasure bio that you talked about and the pleasure lineage and you kind of discuss it in the beginning of your book but we'd love for our audience to hear a little bit about your pleasure lineage and your pleasure bio I um I love that question. You know, I feel like my pleasure lineage is is, it's kind of like a warrior lineage or something, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I feel like a lot of girls who didn't fit whatever the mold of was, you know, for like, this is what a cute girl looks like Mm -hmm. at, you know, 13, 16, etc. I was experiencing um, 
what felt like unclear sexual and pleasure zones, right? Mm -hmm. It was very unclear to me, like, how are people navigating this? And I don't know if y'all felt this, but like when I was younger, it felt like everyone else knows how to do it. Right. And right. somehow I just don't, <laughs> right? right? Or like me and my friends, you know, it's just like, how do you do dating? How do mm -hmm. you do life? How do you do connecting? And it wasn't until I was much older that I realized like, that's how everyone feels because that's we're not being taught right. how to connect with each other. Right. Um, and in the absence of any kind of lesson or, or real conversation around it, the culture just gets set by those in domination, which is men, mm -hmm. you know, um, mm -hmm. and men are not, you know, they have not been socialized to be concerned about the depth of connection a lot of times. So, you know, they're concerned with like pornography <laughs> and mm -hmm. pornographic experience, things like that. So it's been really interesting to, to come into a lineage that is like, oh, inside of that, there was a moment of being like, oh, my orgasms are just as important in this experience as yours are, right? right? Mm -hmm. And kind of twisting myself back from that place to like my contentment is just as important as anyone else's, my yeah. joy, my satisfaction. And a couple of key moments I want to name in here. Um, one was, you know, discovering marijuana. <laughs> mm -hmm. And I was someone who was like, half the time I would have a blast and I'm enjoying this. This is so fun. Mm. And then the other half of the time I'd be like having some paranoid experience where I was just like, right. Um, nobody here likes me. And mm. um, I don't know why they let me have these drugs. <laughs> I, I, I tend so, to get the paranoid yeah, experience. I had the, I, I, the most, edible. A ton of people do. I eat the edible and I'm dying. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm right? actually dying. And yeah. I'm actually dying. Like I've had the experience where it was like, Oh, I think the top of my head just came off, and everyone's just being nice to me um, <laughs> about yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, yes, like so, yes, I do. Um, at, a, at a party, would I have know those experiences. Yeah. I would go yeah. back and forth between those two things, and of course, now I look back and I'm like, oh, that's because no one was explaining to me like dosage and just have a little bit and get a feel for it before you increase. You know, it was always just like a blunt is going around. You just have to smoke it until, you know, <laughs> whoever owns the blunt says they're good, you know, whatever. So like all this stuff around harm reduction came right. for me out of experiences of not having it go well. Hmm. And, um, but inside of that, I found the harm reduction coalition and that was an eye-opening experience for me in my pleasure journey because suddenly it was like, oh, consent and being informed about the things you're using and having um, explicit conversations with other people about how you're feeling on these drugs and drug set and setting. It's not just about the substance you're using, but how you're feeling and where you are and if it's safe. And like, you know, so many times that I was having paranoid experiences, like I actually was not in a safe place to be doing mm -hmm. that drug, mm -hmm. you know? So I was like, you're right. paranoid because you are out in the city um, high as hell. And if you get picked up, like right. because of your race, you will get punished harder than the, maybe the other people you're parting with or other things. Right. Yeah. So all of that, you know, long story, long story. And then I come across the work of Audre Lorde. <laughs> mm -hmm, <right. laughs> and oh. Audre Lorde, uses free. of the erotic as power, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, was really a formative text for me. And I think for many, many people, that's one of the, the pieces you read where you're like, oh, wait, I have not been understanding all this stuff right. Um, in right relationship to the reality of it. And this, you know, she was the first person to put forth to me this idea that um, 
as long as you have not experienced that complete erotic aliveness, you will settle for suffering because mm-hmm. you just don't know mm-hmm. um, that something else, something better is out there that you can access, right? Like I really grew up thinking like, oh, I can't access that. That's for like rich people or like skinny people mm-hmm. or white people or someone else, someone that is not me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and mm-hmm. it was so liberating to read um, the work of a black feminist scholar who was like, I make love to my lover in the sunlight and Mm. that is my pleasure. And then I write a poem that is my pleasure. And it's political that I have these pleasures. I was like, girl, (laughs) let's talk about it. So, and then we just haven't gone back. Audrey and I just stay in that conversation all the time. Um, Yeah. So that's some of the lineage, you know, there's, there's many other touch points along the way, but I, I think it's really, I've been trying more and more as this book tour has, um, gone on. I've been trying more and more to really let people understand like how much trauma plays a role yeah. in this yeah. and having things, um, you know, having traumatic introductions to things that shouldn't have been a traumatic introduction. And then now being in the process of reclaiming something that is actually my right to have. Yeah. Um, I want to, and say- then reclaiming it for all my people. Cause I also think Harriet Tubman's in my pleasure lineage, you know, yes, like liberation. You know, so yeah, yeah. it's all there. <laughs> I wanted to ask you that, Adrian, because like mm-hmm. when I was trying to think about who was my erotic teacher, like where did I yeah. learn eroticism mm-hmm. from? I mm-hmm. literally could not think of anything positive. Like oh, all yeah. of, you know, all of the things that I thought about, where did I learn about the erotic were like, I was in a room full of white people watching porn as a kid. Like, I was like, wait, oh, what? Wow, honey. Or, right, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I remember yes, thinking, like, looking yes. at the nipples of the person in the porn, like, people have small nipples? Like, I was, like <laughs> what are those small, pink little things? Yeah. Yeah. I was yeah. like, I was so <laughs> yeah. like, whoa, I didn't know that small nipples existed. All the nipples I had seen were large areolas, like, so, yeah. or just about abuse or, you know, yeah. family molestation. Like when I, I had to, when I really had to think about my erotic introduction that was positive, I was 18. Mm-hmm. I yes. had to finally find someone who was like a gentle lover, you know, and I was mm-hmm. really curious about just that word, like the word erotic. We're going to talk a lot about sex in this because yeah, all the yes. interviews I'm listening to you, no one's talking to you about sex. And this is like the sexiest book ever. Like, <laughs> like, Thank you. No, I think was like, we have to talk to you about the sex. sexy part. No, no, we want, <laughs> so, no, we really want. I mean, sexy no, part. let's talk about it. Like, I mean, I really yeah. love, I will say I, I similarly, you know, I think like a lot of people, I am slowly uncovering that there were different incidences of harm that yeah. were kind of predate my memory of mm-hmm. them mm-hmm. Um, or my ability to remember them. And then that's inside of a long lineage of being of women in this country who were here in service roles and not in um, erotic roles or not seen as like, oh, you're an erotic body and your pleasure matters. Right. So that's like our lineage. And then you layer onto that, like the current harm of your life. Right. And so I remember, you know, for such a long time thinking that sex was mostly performance mm. and that pleasure was mostly like something I was giving to someone, not something right. I was taking or experiencing right. myself. And then having a lover who 
slowed things down so much, slowed the things down so much that I was like, I literally don't know what you're doing. <laughs> right, like what's happening like, right now. I don't understand what you're doing. Let's get to the boom boom part. Um, but who spent a long time at my nipples mm. and and being like, whoa, whoa. You know, like yeah. I think that first moment, and I, it's still such a delicious memory, but that first moment of having your nipple properly sucked, mm-hmm. properly attended to, mm-hmm. properly worshipped and recognizing like, Oh, my nipple connects to the rest of my mm-hmm, pleasure mm-hmm. body. Yeah. Um, actually, almost any part of the body can be awakened yep. to connect to the rest of the pleasure body. Yeah. And that the excitement of that, of recognizing like you're walking around with this territory that is wired for pleasure and it's your body mm-hmm. and you don't need anything else. You don't need a toy. Mm-hmm. You actually don't really need another person mm-hmm. for some of the most erotic experiences you can have in your life. And I, I think that that um, just was like, oh, wait a second. <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. um, and so I, I definitely had, you know, I spent my 20s where I would block off Saturdays as just like my self-pleasure day. Um, and I haven't talked about that much, even in the book process. It was mm-hmm. just like, you know, I, I got into buying vibrators and just seeing like, how many orgasms could I have today? You know, <laughs> like, I'll get the laundry done too, but like, those are the only two things on my agenda. And <laughs> I recommend it to so many people, especially folks who have come through a lot of sexual harm, mm-hmm. is to slow down your own erotic relationship with yourself. Yeah, Because I think so many folks, it's like you think that it has to be initiated or practiced only with others. And that what you practice with others is more important or more legitimate than the sex that you have with yourself. And that's something I set aside, you know, yeah. I, I love, love, love making love with my lover. Um, and there's something really important about the erotic relationship that I have with myself and cultivating it and protecting it and making sure that I never take for granted, um, that I am the first person who's responsible for making sure that there's pleasure in this body. Yeah. And, you know, the thing I love about Audrey Lord's work in this context is like, that pleasure body connects to all the other pleasure in my life. Mm -hmm. So once I start to tune into like, I like how this feels and I don't like how that feels, that very basic technology gives me access to so much more wisdom and Mm -hmm. gut sensibility in any given day. Because I move through a day like, hmm, so this is not erotic. This is not turning me on. This is not, no, nothing's flowing. Yeah. I'm like, I'm having an erotic moment. I've had, right now? I just want to say that I've had multiple. I've had multiple since you opened your mouth. Because we can have multiple. Because we have multiple. But also that they, that erotic moments really happen all the time that we don't recognize. Yes. That like there's these yes. connections that we allow ourselves to have that we close ourselves off to because we say, this is a stranger in a grocery store. So we can have... Moment. When, when I have like this charge of energy with, and it could be about anything with anyone, yeah. but even in this moment, yeah. like it's like ooh, it's like the spark, it's the spanda we've talked mm-hmm. about before, right? That mm-hmm. and like so, like what you were saying is if you see pleasure a certain way or in a certain box or it has to be on a certain day or time. I had a a, a friend like once I she was having trouble in her marriage, and when we kind of deconstructed it. You know, they had this very, very prescribed idea of when they were supposed to have sex and Ooh. how. And so mm-hmm. I was like, bitch, what about your kitchen? <laughs> bitch, what about yes. outside? Like, right. you know, and because of you that and, and having, yeah, yeah, and because of that and having kids and stuff, they 
they were waiting for this moment and not using, not even using the waiting erotically, right? Like they could have used that as to build, right, yeah, to build seduction. something. Yeah. But so a couple things I wanted to follow up on what you were saying is the idea that like one of the things that when we're younger, but I think throughout our sexual lifespan too, that people just expect to know how to sex, right? Like that they don't think sex. of it as, exactly. <laughs> they don't think of it as, a skill set that you you develop and you spend time with and you nurture they and so if they can't go in and, and have the sex and the sex be like then they're so in their head about it that right. they're not allowing themselves to be open and learning and growing during yeah these experiences which and i think is very um yeah. you know sex is a skill and, and like yeah, learning yeah. how to sex is like a, a, a skill that you learn over lifespan, and, and it, it changes throughout the and lifespan. It, and it changes with and the it's person. About yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. we're saying the same thing, Adrian. Yes, I want to. I like jeans. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and and Adrian, you're. I. It was so clear you're a Virgo, like reading the book, <laughs> That's true. because when you started the book, you were like okay, and there's such thing as like a boundary, and like there's such thing as too much. Yeah. You know, and yeah, and when <laughs> when you're talking about like uh, the 20s, I went too hard in the 20s. Look, no one I gets went, this look on right? her face whenever she talks about her 20s. <laughs> but I, I'm what talking, you do? What you do? <laughs> what you do? Well, I went too hard. I I definitely <laughs> had all the vibrators and all the masturbation, and I had all those parties you're talking about until. I was like, oh, my clitoris, I can't feel anything anymore. Mm. Like, right, like, right, right. And then right. you have to have that moment. <laughs> I've, had where... that, I've had that moment, too, where I was like, wait a second. Chris, I definitely is had this the thing moment, on? can I break this? Like, is this thing on? Numb it? Tap, you know, tap, I got tap. really nervous, like, that I would numb it. And mm. I do find that it's important for me to um, have vari- variables, mm-hmm. you know, as it were. Right. So like I try to balance out in the sex with myself that I'm not just using technology, mm-hmm. um, that I also always return to like my own organic touch mm-hmm. and, and that I stay connected to the part of me that's like aroused by the material of sex, like the material, mm-hmm. this, the, 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 mm-hmm. you know, I'm like, pussies are amazing. Mm-hmm. Or like the, the tension of a penis that's mm-hmm. hard, the little pre-cum, like all this little stuff that's like, oh, like I think if you get in this technology, you can get a little too pristine about everything. Mm-hmm. And yeah. sex is not really pristine. And, you know, something that was coming up when you were talking about, like, learning how to sex, there's, I think we, there's these pendulums that get swung, mm-hmm. you know, so I've definitely been with the people where I'm like, oh, you learned how to sex, but you kind of have, like, a set of moves that you just use mm-hmm. with everyone. And they uh, work, the you know, step. it's like, <laughs> these are moves that work. Um, mm-hmm. And they're, I, I can't feel the connection, mm-hmm, right? So I think mm-hmm, that's the thing that yeah. shifted for me yeah. for a long time as a big girl. I was just excited to be having sex, right? I was like, mm. I was told this would not happen. Mm. And here it is happening. Like someone seems interested in me. But, you know, at first it was very like, I can't believe you're interested in me in spite of this horrific body that I have that mm. it doesn't fit into a magazine or whatever. And the time it took to get through that and be like, oh, no, my body's banging. Right. Um, and... I, you know, I don't want to be with anyone who doesn't feel that way. Right. And like, there's no prescription for what's going to please each different lover. So there's something about how to sex that's really about listening, right? Yeah. Like, how do I learn to listen non-defensively um, mm-hmm. and with curiosity mm-hmm. to what my lover is telling me with their mouths and what they're telling me with their bodies? Yeah. And like, how do I learn to understand like, oh, 
follow that arousal or that's too far or maybe that's too hard or that's too soft or, you know, like how do I fine tune my touch? Um, How do I pay attention to the quality of touch, the quality of connection? And for me, the connection part now, you know, I think this is another thing. Like in my 20s, again, it's just like bang, bang, let's just have sex. Mm -hmm. And like as I've gotten older, the quality has become so important. I'm like, I want to feel you here. I want to know that your desire is present between us and and in this space. And if I can't feel that, it's very difficult for me to want to play. I'm like, "Mm, I'm losing interest. And so I think that for so many, like if I was to offer my dream sex education scenario for young people, Hmm. a lot of it would be like, here, take years of masturbation, Mm -hmm. years of getting to know your body and understand, ah, that's a feeling of arousal. I don't have to act on it. I don't have to give anything away for it. I just need to tune in and get familiar with it. How does arousal move through my system? What are the visuals and the sounds and the feelings that turn it up and turn it down? And like just Mm. playing in a way that you get to know yourself. I feel like it's never too late to begin that exploration. And the thing that ultimately is the sexiest, I think, amongst adults is authentic arousal, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like, is actually being like, I'm really fucking turned on. This yeah. is hot. And, like, I'm about to fuck the shit out of you. Mm-hmm. Like, that's right. yeah. what's yeah. actually hot amongst adults. Yeah. And to me, that's how I know I'm, I'm having sex with an adult and not someone yeah. who is, you know, still stuck in trauma behavior, which I think yeah. is that, like, I'm performing sex, sex, you know, I'm doing sex, I'm pleasing you. But I can't really feel anything, and I'm not here. And how to communicate it, like so. so once yes. you know it, like how to how to communicate that, how to feel comfortable and empowered and yes. excited about and communicating when, that with someone. Right? And when I'm like, <laughs> you know, right, it's when, not necessarily right. the right moment when you're right. in the throes of it. Right. When is the right moment? Right. And I bungle this all the time. It's not like I I never want to. <laughs> you know, this has been one of the hilarious things about yes. doing this. Is I think a lot of people are like, oh, you must understand. You know, I recently was at. Um, the black love convergence and they had like a play party component to it and someone was doing displays of of um they were doing flogging they were tying people up different mm-hmm. stuff and i was like "Ooh, what's this cattle prod that you know like i was just mm-hmm. like a kid in a candy shop was like, show me this show me that and they were like i was just amazed that you were so curious about this you didn't really know everything i was like hell no like i'm a student i'm a scholar right. of pleasure and i right. um i want to understand it all but um, there's still so much territory that is unexplored for me. And, and so I, I don't come into this as a sexpert. I feel like I come into this as a scholar looking for peers and comrades and mm-hmm. other people who are interested in like how we break these cycles. The stuff that I know well is like, how do we attend to the harm parts of it? And pl- the place that I'm pushing myself about. is like, how do we turn up the pleasure? I wanted to ask a follow-up about, also from yeah. earlier, because I told you I had a lot of erotic moments, and I <laughs> took note. So, I know. the harm reduction, this is fascinating to me, because mm-hmm. yeah. I think, you know, talking about trauma and trauma responses, that yeah. people, th- that at a younger age, you understood to go to harm reduction versus abstaining and not not just sexually but like the drug right like if someone has Mm -hmm. a bad experience with a drug (laughs) right then they're like i'm never touching that shit again right like um and it's the same way like if you date (laughs) a trash person right and you're you're like i'm never dating this kind of person again right yeah so like how it's interesting to me that you because of because i work in trauma so much i see a lot of people jump from one end of the spectrum to the other but you 
you went to harm reduction. Can you talk a little bit about how you chose that over abstaining and like maybe how we can move to more of a like, hey, let's just dial it back versus like turn it off. And and can you define mm-hmm. like what harm reduction is? Because I didn't yeah. really understand this before I started reading this book. And I'm from a, a long line of drug <laughs> addicts. So yes, I was yes, like, right. oh, wait, you don't have to demonize yeah. drug addicts? Right. You don't have to demonize those people okay. that are our families? Mm. Okay. Yes. Um, well, I think I got lucky. I had gone to work at Columbia University in their admissions office and I got fired Um, and the story of getting fired was this whole you know uh, to me it was just like oh this is a blessing that does not you know it didn't feel like a blessing to me and it definitely didn't feel like a blessing to my parents um, because it was like my first job out of college but I got fired and so then I found myself in the position of like, I'm looking for work and trying to figure out what I'm going to do next. And I had already, you know, begun like my political awakening at that point. Mm-hmm. So I knew like I, I, I had been a student activist on my campus. Sorry, I'm lighting some frankincense while we talk. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I'm like, you probably we welcome that. We welcome that. I was like, I need some frankincense. So, um, so I had been a student activist. I knew that justice, um, I'd done work around Amadou Diallo after he had gotten killed. Um, So I was starting to pay attention to these things. And so I was on like idealist.com or something. And I saw the job for the harm reduction um, coalition. And I had not heard of harm reduction before then. So I'm reading it and I'm just like, wait, this exists. (laughs) Like, and Mm. so the framework is how basically how do we reduce the harm that comes from sex and drug use? And the idea is like, we recognize that we live in a state that is really, really, really hard to survive, hard to thrive in. Mm-hmm. It's hard to um, find joy in. It's hard to find financial stability in. Mm-hmm. And the conditions that we live in are really, really, really difficult for a lot of us to survive. Mm-hmm. And so if we recognize that, how instead of punishing people for whatever they're doing to survive that, how do we partner with people um, and create conditions where more of us can actually make it. And there's principles of harm reduction. Um, one of them that has always stood out to me deeply is that the person who's using is the only person who can really set mm-hmm. a plan for reducing the harm that's in their lives. And when I came across this, you know, I had grown up with an aunt who was um, actually a big time user of crack. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I had seen the way that she was treated. Right. in the community and in our family and she recently passed away and mm-hmm. a lot has come flooding back to me about like how we how we grew up um orienting to you know how she showed up and i just always remember being like well why you know like mm. what 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 makes you choose that i don't understand but like i said once i had discovered weed at the time i discovered weed i didn't really know my own trauma history mm. i was like a lot of people where i was like I'm shaped around some harm, but I can't see what it is. Mm. I can just see the shape of myself. Got it. And then, uh, and I think that's true of a lot of people. So it felt so good to me all the time to be like, to have those moments of total uninhibited time. And Mm. that's what drugs gave me. And I was meeting so many more people who were like that, where I was like, I'm depressed, but I can go roll on ecstasy. And all of a sudden I feel great. Um, mm-hmm. you know, different things like that would, would happen. And I was like, okay, I want to understand how do I reduce the harm that comes from these substances that make me feel human and whole. Mm-hmm. And 
rather for me absence was never very interesting right mm-hmm. like i was just like i didn't um i have not and i still have never felt that moment where i was just like oh absence would be the path for me right mm-hmm. for me it's always been like i just want to reduce it i want to find a right relationship with it mm-hmm. and i've been lucky like the addictive substance in my life has never been a drug or a tobacco it's been sugar mm-hmm. and too. so harm reduction has been really helpful for me because i'm like Oh, the substance that gives me addiction feelings is one that is available every place I yeah, turn. Yeah, for sure. So for sure. It's, it's in places it's, you don't yeah. even exactly. know it's there. Yeah. It's like, it's not for me. It's like, I'm not going to be able to avoid it by avoiding a certain part of town mm-hmm. or certain mm-hmm. kinds of people. It's like, it's everywhere. And I think that's the truth. If you need an escape, escape is everywhere. And so I got mm-hmm. really curious around like, well, how do we not punish people who need escape? for meeting that right Right. how do we not punish people in a way that makes them push even more towards that escapism instead of moving towards connection back Mm. towards community back towards society and remember the first time i went to a harm reduction conference and meeting all these people who had been heroin users or were active heroin users or crack users cocaine users weed smokers and there was dignity it was like Mm. all these people they in, in some way were the most interesting people I'd ever met in my life because they were not lying or hiding who they really were and what they really needed. And it just was such, it thrilled me. Hmm. It thrilled me to be, it felt like, oh, these are fucking honest people. And I don't want to ever go back to being in a society that is based around lying to each other about what we need to get through it. And now I look back and I think it's also kind of my first take on disability justice without realizing it hmm. because a lot of those people were, you know, their bodies were hurting. There was chronic pain. There was yep. chronic mental mm-hmm. pain. Mm-hmm. There were so many reasons that people were turning to substances that were not being, you know, spelled it's out. Yeah. Everyone was just yeah. being put into the same punitive systems yeah, or sure. the same judgment systems. And so I felt so much liberation there and I continue to feel that. And I bring harm reduction into almost everything else I do, which mm. is we live in this world right, right now, today. Right. How do we, how do we um, be in right relationship with and acknowledge that this is the world we live in? And how do we give ourselves enough space, enough pleasure, enough peace to keep reaching for the next world? Yeah, for sure. You, you know, the, my partners has said something to me since we met like 14 years ago, which is you need to embrace your inner whore. Like you need to accept Ooh. it, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he, he's a doozy. So, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, it sounds like he's on point. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> I know what I like. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's from, he's from Detroit, so uh, mm-hmm. you, you know, you he's like. I want to embrace it, yeah. and I can't yeah. do that if you don't also embrace exactly. it. Exactly. So, <laughs> there's something about this book that had me kind of closer to that path that I've been on uh-huh. for a while of like. Uh, I'm stuck in this morality thing that's coming Mm. from this Judeo-Christian white supremacist lens, right? That I've been raised inside of. And really the, the chapters on, on harm reduction and drugs, like it had me thinking like, oh, because all of the drug doing that I've done or alcohol, all of those things have been very in the shadow 
and not what people expect, right? Like, there's always this surprise, like, dang, I didn't know you were this type of person when you're drunk. Like, that concept, (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. that concept that this can be, like, an integration Mm -hmm. and that you can be, show up as your full self, like, I want to go full into all of this, and I and I think that we didn't really talk about pleasure activism at the beginning, and how these yeah how these things relate. Because before we read this book, we really thought we were reading a book about organizing. Like we thought we were about to read a book mm-hmm. about four hundred pages on how organizing could be more fun. And I was like, I could see how you would have a lot to say about organizing being more fun for four hundred pages. Like because <laughs> yeah, organizing is not there. fun, right? Mm-hmm. So it just right. has a hard time being fun. And but then <laughs> yes. I started to read more and I was like, Oh, this is this is a daily practice, you know. It's a with, way of life. It's a way of life, but with also these yeah. tones of like I think it was Dallas Goldtooth's um, essay in there, like mm-hmm. about standing about humor. about humor and like you know, for me working with BLM, like bringing some. I was always bringing light and joy and humor into that space, but I didn't meet many people who were doing the same. You know, mm-hmm. so reading yeah. that was really liberating for me. I just wanted you to kind of talk about how all these concepts of sex and drugs, like how, yeah. how does this go with pleasure activism? Like what is that essay I'm talking about, about approaching organizing with humor? How does this all work together? Okay, great. So uh, the two basic premises of pleasure activism for this book, one is how do we make justice and liberation the most pleasurable things we can engage in mm-hmm. um, as human beings, right? And I have been in movement for quite some time, my whole adult life. And you're right, it has not been the most pleasurable experience. Mm-hmm. There are moments of immense pleasure. Mm-hmm. Um, we know when you feel yourself in political home or when you're part of a massive action that actually stops the world for a moment and brings attention to the thing you care about and you can feel that deeper alignment with justice and to me with the divine force of justice right Mm -hmm. like I think that's when you're touching into your god self is when you are putting yourself in right relationship with justice so there's those pleasures but they don't really to a lot of people right a lot of people are like it's overwhelming to try and care because there's too much that's heartbreaking And I'd rather just not. And so we lose a lot of people who might be interested um, Mm -hmm. in justice because when they show up, we lead with the heartbreak and Mm -hmm. not with care, not with connection, not with honoring the curiosity that brings them to the front door. You know, these days, a lot of times people show up and the first thing we do is kind of run them through political paces, like a standardized test of politics that they're going to fail because they haven't spent right. a long time right. in political work. Right. Like what, what and, do you know? What is your, what, yeah, what books like, have well, you read? What's your stance what, yeah. on this yes, and that? And exactly. So I was like, I don't think we actually know that much about pleasure in organizing outside of like the rush, the temporary rush that can come in those moments. And so, um, so that's the first part of it was like, okay, what would it take? to make movement spaces more pleasurable. And I've been in those experiments, um, so I can give some examples of that. But then the other part of it is, how do we reclaim pleasure as something that everyone has access to and that is not about capitalist success, but is about dropping in and being able to feel more in your body and to reclaim a lot of territory from trauma, from oppression, 
from colonization, mm -hmm. from narratives that say only some people deserve pleasure. So that's kind of like in a nutshell, those are the two components of pleasure activism. And I decided to tilt towards the second one and really uplift stories from marginalized people, people of mm -hmm. color, trans people, indigenous people, folks who are maybe not seen as synonymous with pleasure. Mm. And to talk about and to explore and to interview them about where they find pleasure, how they find pleasure, and how they lead from a place of pleasure. And mm. there was so much uncovered, and, and I learned a ton in the process. But like the essay you're talking about, for instance, with Dallas Goldtooth, mm -hmm. was like, you know, when I was watching videos coming out of Standing Rock, there were so many of them that had me laughing. <laughs> and I would either feel the pleasure of that laughter or I'd feel the pleasure of these moments where it felt like nature was on our side and the horses mm, were running yeah, wild. Yeah. Yeah. It was yeah. just like these gorgeous moments were coming yeah. out of there. And I was just like, what is this movement? Like this, that's a movement that is compelling. People go and they don't want to leave. If they're tapping into something mm. um, that feels important. And when I talked to Dallas, he was just like, yeah, like indigenous peoples have learned, like we cannot take ourselves so seriously. Mm and expect people to stay mm. like we have to see ourselves as being a part of the long haul and that humor is a part of what makes us want to be around each other and mm. humor is a part of how we process the impossible and mm. the unimaginable and um, it's like humor and culture music song dance and i found that so useful and it, it aligned with what i have experienced where we've been in moments of immense grief immense heartache and it's only by laughing together right. that we remembered, like, this moment is just this moment. Mm -hmm. And there's there's something larger than ourselves, larger than we can comprehend, that is in motion here. Yeah. And all we are doing is shaping it and trying to help move it along. So mm. most of the book, you know, a lot of the book came from something called the Pleasure Dome. I did a column for Bitch Magazine. And initially it was going to be about sex and drugs and kind of like, you know, trying to bring that conversation more transparently into movement space. Yeah. Because I felt like for the whole time I've been an activist, everyone's doing drugs. <laughs> everyone's yeah. fucking. Everyone. Everyone. <laughs> but everyone's acting like they're not, yeah. judging those who get caught doing it yeah. or seen doing it or whatever. And several times I felt that like scarlet A, you know, mm -hmm. on my forehead or my chest or whatever that was like, Adrian had sex with someone mm. or Adrian, you know, smoked a joint or whatever. Mm -hmm. And just feeling like, why would I be embarrassed to do this, this very natural, beautiful, wonderful thing and have a good time doing it? Like, why am I being made to feel so ashamed? Why is this puritanical bent right. so prevalent in movement space? And hmm. for me, it was just like, a lot of it is about patriarchy. <laughs> you right. know, yeah. a lot of it is about if we really want to dismantle that patriarchal control in the future, then we have to find the ways that we claim our whole selves right now. And I, in that process, was like, I, I want to bring us all out of the closet, invite us all out of mm -hmm. this closet where what we're really doing to survive and to feel good is, is hidden away from each other. And I, I want to uplift just briefly um, Sammy Schalk, who has an essay in there about disability justice yes. and BDSM. Mm -hmm. yes. She recently, so she's a professor, yeah? Yeah. And she recently was pulled up on stage. She did like a campaign that she wanted to twerk with Lizzo. <laughs> and she got pulled up on stage at Lizzo's show. Yes. And yeah. like the video of it went viral. And she has been in kind of an uproar 
um, invo- you know, like of people responding, like professors shouldn't do that. And like, you know, you know, fat shaming her and like all this kind of stuff, up. right? I mean, who doesn't want to work with Lizzo? But anyway, <laughs> you know, it's also like she keeps telling me, she's like, this has helped me come out and live as my yeah. whole self in yeah. public. Yeah. And every time I see her doing it, it inspires me to be like, there's nothing to be ashamed of for having a good life. Yeah. My ancestors wanted me to have a good life yeah. and to feel good and keep fighting for justice. That that's, you know, like that's what they were trying to fight for. This is what I'm now fighting for is I want my nibblings and all the children that I love. I want all of them to have a good, pleasurable life, yeah. safe, healthy sexual experiences I want it all to feel available to them. I want their erotic lives to feel full. I want them to feel satisfied with the lives that they get to live. Like it's my responsibility now for them to see their satisfied, happy, fat black auntie and to be like, oh, that's mm-hmm. what it looks like to be a black woman in America today. Right. Yes. <laughs> because Joy. that's 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 right. That's revolutionary. <laughs> like so yes. Uh, I'm having another of my moments. Uh-oh. I know. So, <laughs> me too. So, girl. Sometimes girl, I'm just like, yes. So, <laughs> I really want to talk about like the dark um, yes. and the shadow because yeah. being a therapist, you start to see. I've been in mental health for about ten years now, directly, and like. Why did you enter mental health work? <sighs> oh, you you know we all come because of our own our mental own health stuff, exactly. stuff right? Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. And so our own family stuff. And really, again, we come because we become fascinated with the dark. We want to know exactly. how these That's things happen. Yeah. We want to dismantle them. And, and we're looking in them for the light, right? But yeah. what I what I want to, what I'm hearing, and like knowing you just mentioned, like, you know, the, these things that you were doing kind of in the dark because right. you didn't want to be judged from. And, and Adrian, you just yes. kind of reaffirmed that, is this idea of like, so much good fucking shit happens in the dark. Like right. so much creativity exactly. and innovation, right? Even when we think about our ancestors, right? Yeah. We 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 desexualize them. Like right. not all of us are born out of trauma. Like they no. was when we listen to the music, <laughs> like folks <laughs> was listening to some yeah. sexy shit. Yeah. Right? Like exactly. writing yeah. love poems and poetry in the midst of you know, slavery and colonization, to me, I've been fascinated with this idea, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on it, of like, you know, yes, we are resilient and we're strong, right? And that's like how we're always framed. But my thinking is that that resilience and that strength and that shell was really encasing the thing that actually did keep us alive, which Mm -hmm. was joy and pleasure, Mm -hmm. right? So we get stuck on like the outer coding of strength and resilience, but that was the inner part of that was our pleasure and our joy. We were still creating families, music, dance, styles, Mm -hmm. trends, hairstyle. You know what I'm saying? Like it never, ever stopped. And the strength and resilience was protecting that piece. And that's the piece I totally agree with you, Adrian, that we we need to fully enjoy. And to me, that means this whole this whole thing about dark. Right. Like like shunning what's dark. When we look at it in Afro spirituality and Tantra, it's such a beautiful relationship between light and dark. They cannot exist one without the other. They are a couple, a partnership. One is not better or worse than the Uh, other. And I want to I want to add to this, like when we think about our family traumas from the lens of a child. Right. Is something. And then when we're grown, I look back and say, 
Wait, okay. My great grandma gave up my grandma because she wanted to go to the club all the time. Like she was, (laughs) she was having a good time. She was, she wasn't ready to give it up. Right? She was like, Mm. no, I'm dedicated to my pleasure. Right? Like I'm a maid all day. I mean, I think that about my. I'm a maid all day. That she was a maid. Yeah. Mm -hmm. She had seven children with a a lot of men. (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah. You know what that says to me is like this is a woman who was having sex. Like she was having pleasure, and she was she was continuously doing that throughout her life. Like two of my aunt, uncle, you know, are my age. One is my age and one is a year younger than me. So my dad was having children and my grandmother was still out here having children, having sex, having pleasure. I love that. I love knowing that about her. Um, But I have a poem that I'm going to read to y'all real quick about this dark piece. It just came, it just popped back up on Facebook and it was like, it's, I was when I was working on this pleasure activism book, this was what was sitting with me so much was like the pleasure that happens in the dark, yeah. the power of the darkness. Mm-hmm. But then also, can things still be sexy when we bring them into the light? Like mm-hmm. all that. But anyway, so here's this poem. <laughs> what we see it in the dark grows. The darkness is so powerful that whiteness tried to turn the world against it. Mm-hmm. But the darkness remains. The darkness grows everything you love. Mm-hmm. And when everything dies, it returns to the delicious dark, <laughs> the wet and waiting earth who only operates in miracles. Nothing is broken inside the darkness. Mm-hmm. Everything is becoming life, longing for life, reaching up from a molten heart full of belonging on the edge of flight, so driven. The darkness knows no separation. Mm-hmm. Memory is a dream, is a thrill in the flesh. I race towards the poem that I alone can hear. And in answering the call, I remember I am nothing alone, nothing. Surrendering to the truth frees me, leaves me whole. I overflow with a thundering joy that only darkness can hold. Mm. So I think about this often that the sexual pleasure that most people experience, it's in the dark, your eyes are closed. There's something about especially being a receptive partner right i'm like my partner part of what they're finding is something that can never be seen it's like they're reaching into me to find this place of pleasure that by design is not visible it's inside and i think there's something to me that's one of the hottest things and so i'm always figuring out like how to have pleasure that doesn't take away from secrecy that doesn't take away from the need for privacy um it doesn't take away even from like the forbidden. Like, I think there's something very sexy about all of those ideas that I'm not, mm. I'm not interested in us losing. Right, and right. I'm like, how do we still, how do we have those things and have integrity and have safety and stop patterns of sexual abuse and, yeah. and all of that? I think that's the big contradiction that is interesting to me. Yeah. And then how do we bring that into movement space where like, you know, a parallel is, is like gossip, right? Like mm-hmm. gossip is so fun and, you know, you don't do it in the meeting, right? Mm-hmm. You, you go in the kitchen afterwards and you're like, yo, girl, did you know? And like, and it's like part made. of how we oh, bond and, 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 you know, and journey with each other. But then it's like, oh, how do I not do that from a mean-spirited mm-hmm. place? Right. How do I not do that from a place that's trying to cause harm? Yeah, I think we can hold those kind of contradictions. I think that's one of the things that makes our species an interesting species. Yeah. But I think we're in this really fascinating place now where we're trying to figure out, like, how do we hold all the the contradictions of our relationship to darkness and what we need to bring into the light right now? And right now, 
you know, the darkness is Ooh. the safest place for yeah. a lot of people who have been trying to cause harm yeah. and they're being pulled into the light against their will. And it's terrifying. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I think about that often and I'm like, Oh, you know, I feel, um, I feel, I think we're in this interesting moment where I'm like, Oh, not everything is meant to be in the light. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Not everything is meant to be in the light. So how do we navigate it? You know, so that we're not bringing stuff into light just for the sake of punishment. Yeah, and how do uh, we? You know? How we just? In, how do we just allow the dark to be what it is and enjoy it and not shame it? Like, I, yes, I will say, yeah, Noni, you right. helped me so much with that in terms of like. Noni always reminds me, like, you're Leo. This is what you're supposed to be doing. <laughs> this is how you're supposed to be acting. <laughs> in my mind, some of those qualities. I was worried about people viewing as as mean or negative or dark. And yeah. it was Afro-spirituality, learning about Tantra, tapping into pleasure that made me realize, no, the point is to be my fullest self. And that comes with a That's lot right. of things. The balance. That, that yeah. comes with things that like, hey, some people may like, some people may not. But my job is to be all of it, right? Like, mm-hmm. I, my job is not what other people are responding to in that way. It's right. more so like, am I being true and authentic in this experience? And like... And and I've never felt more like free and liberated. And I think mm. some things, yeah, they because the dark has its own set of values. We, it's just the, the problem has That's been right. that we've been taught to overly value the light. I remind people that light That's illuminates right. what's created in the dark. Yeah, so, well, we haven't oh, fully, we don't yeah. have a fully integrated shadow. Like, that's not happening. No. And, and I think, you know, this political moment we're in right now is great because it's like we get to all experience a collective shadow with, yeah. with this fool every day. Like, yeah. you know, like we get to, <laughs> we do <laughs> like we get to walk through yeah. our own shadow self, our lying self, our delusional self, like our prejudice self, our prejudice self. You, y'all know I love Kanye because I Kanye. I'm like, <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. I was just listening to the read the other day about Kanye because they're like, hey, we're camps you know he's done and you know what's so interesting to me is i'm just like i look at you know we're in this interesting period of human history where someone can be very well known very publicly known and still be mentally unwell yeah exactly what they were known for is not necessarily just that unwellness although that's a part of it you know so kanye is someone who i'm like he's you know a sort of public person who's not well yeah um and we know that he's not well. We can see that he's not well, but we can't seem to do anything about it. Yeah. And and he reminds so, me of our unwellness. Like when I yes. see him, I see, mm-hmm. okay, so that's where I am when I am being a hypocrite. Or that's mm-hmm. where I am when I'm ignoring my community. Or that's where I am when I'm like being selfish in my relationship. Like whatever it is, like that unwellness right. that he's exhibiting I can't forget about all the other wellness. Like there was a whole well, era of think that old people Kanye. Love to, people love to identify folks like that, that they can say that person, right. I'm much better than that person. And right. see, that so, like, is, that's Even though therapy. everything is still, you know, whatever. I'm like, you deal with grief your way. I deal with it yeah. my way. He deals with it his way. I feel so grateful that hmm. mostly I was able to harness my, um, my hardest edges and harness mm-hmm. a lot of the pain and find tools for moving through pain before I became more um, recognized in the public sphere, mm-hmm. right? right? Because I still wrestle with demons. You know, yeah. I recently was um, was at this, you know, off on a retreat 
um, and was in a place, it was like a retreat where there was like, there's other people that can come in and out of this space. And I was having a funky day and like people recognized me there mm-hmm. and it just kicked off this whole unhealthy imbalanced feeling in me. Mm-hmm. And it was like, I feel so unsafe. Right. I feel overexposed. I feel like an imposter, like all that stuff kicked in. But because I have years of therapy and somatic healing and other mechanisms at my in my behest, I was able to be like, oh, this is your mind. Your mind is looping. Hmm. You need a break. Yeah, you know what, what it was. Take. Here's yeah. what you need to do to take yeah. some care of yourself. Yeah. Here's the boundary you need to set. You yeah. don't have to engage. And like, I just had the tools yeah. to like, you don't need to go on social media and right. do a screed about blah, blah, blah. <laughs> right, right. You know, you just need to turn inward, yeah. create a little bit more of a boundary space and tools. take some, you know, take some time away from substances, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. like everything was very clear to me. Like, here's what I need to do yeah. to get back to my baseline of health that I work very hard to generate and maintain. Yeah. Right. And so then I look at someone like Kanye or other people who, who are clearly like, they're living too much of their lives in the public sphere Mm. without enough of those support mechanisms that help you stay um, sane in an insane world. And, you know, I think about that James Baldwin quote all the time is that if you're not feeling insane, if you're not angry, if you're not moved by what's happening to that point of rage, then you're not paying attention. And I think about that when I think about wellness and unwellness Mm. is that how, how imbalanced and unfair and overwhelming this world is yeah. impacts everyone in different ways. Yeah, oh. And some people make it look like they're coping and some it's people can't pull that off. But and that, some people, you know, just make work inside the system and some can't pull that off. And that's... And who am I? Yeah. That's the... That's so... Exactly what you're describing is like, is what we see in family therapy. So mm-hmm. the, in, the, mm-hmm. in the identified patient, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. The, usually the child, it's usually a child who is brought yes. in because they are not conforming to normalcy within this household. They're the ones that let us know the family is sick. If it wasn't for this child, if yes. it wasn't for the Trump, if it wasn't for the Kanye, we would all be sitting here pretending everyone's well, right? We would all That's be right. sitting here claiming. And what they do is they say, we're not well. They don't say this that, but their okay. behavior, their behavior mm-hmm. tells us like, and what we like to do is project it like they're the reason I, that I we are feeling well. this That's way as that. opposed to like, they are, like you were saying, Noni, a reflection of, of what us, the entire family is the feeling. Family's and feeling. so I always thank oh, the yeah. identified patient because no one thinks to thank them, but thank them because if it wasn't for them, we would go on with this illness long term. Unchecked. Unchecked indefinitely. But I just, I actually read part of your book, Adrian, a part where you're describing your own struggles with darkness and how it was in a footnote. I don't remember what part of the book it was, but I pulled that out to explain to someone about a child's darkness, Mm -hmm. like what what you're saying, Mm -hmm. what a teenager could be going through. And I was like, hey, let me read this to you because I think you're not. Mm-hmm. resonating mm-hmm. with what this Aww. child is saying and so this is really good language for it because I remember being 16 mm-hmm. and 15 and 17 and feeling all that stuff too yeah. and I yes, yes. still have those feelings come up but the language that you used it really helped me give language and give I'm so glad perspective <laughs> you know like I'm so glad because I really do think you know to me I, I'm, I'm surrounding myself all the time as I get older and older you know, I'm just like, I surround myself with people who are honest about what it takes to live, yeah. what it takes to survive, what it takes to build relationship, 
you know, like, I, I also think that there's this pattern of, you know, really, there's a lot of the book that is actually about loneliness, mm. without directly speaking about loneliness. Mm. Because it's like, not, oh, there's so many of us that just don't know how to connect. Yeah. And oh my God. so we end up that in these like, ideas of like, I will be, I will stop being depressed when I finally have yes. a, a life partner yes, of yes, some yes. sort. I'll stop being depressed when someone loves me and someone validates my existence in that way. And Adrian, that is, that I was, think there's, that's all, all that? I, that's all I, I'm on a college campus and I hear that constantly all the time I hear it constantly and I just went to the Lizzo concert too and I was telling my friends that like she was such good I, medicine my she, god I she's, tell her, first like, of all like Lizzo. she is joy and pleasure like she was like <laughs> she'll do she oh. will do a year of therapy for you on the front she end was amazing and then you can go to your therapist for the rest and the, <laughs> and the, the interesting yeah, thing yeah. though about the crowd for me was um you know I'm not out all the time like I got kids mm -hmm. and like I have a group of friends that I move with for the most part so it's rare that I'm just like out in spaces and this was like the like the kind of concert where you're standing so you're just yes. around people like no boundaries right yeah and so there was this interesting dynamic where it felt like people were constantly trying to connect to me with without my consent though <laughs> right like let's take this picture together girl let's do this girl you and I was just like oh wait I who would wait I came with these four people um but I yeah. could feel and I when I when like, we left you're not my friend yeah it, it, and uh, you know yeah. going with the group of therapists it was very interesting because when we get to the car we're like debriefing mm -hmm. and I, I said you know I right. think what we experienced in that space and of course this is who Lizzo would attract right because she's so empowering is people there was a deep sense of longing and like everywhere we yeah. turned there was this like longing to be seen to be yeah. connected to and it and it was just like I haven't been out there in it in that way I see it one-on-one -on -one when they come in for counseling right but like to be in a whole room full of people who she was making feel seen was very very it was very interesting and, and I, I think that longing I did feel it in the book Adrian being yeah. with a cis hetero male like I was like dang Adrian well how do I find pleasure with with him yeah he, he's nowhere in here <laughs> like and then yeah. the more i read it i was like he, he ain't in there right like <laughs> it's in there but he's because he's a human being right 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 like so before he's anything else he's, he's a human, human. Being, so in that way it's in there but yeah but but that particular you know i was mm -hmm. i was calling our mutual friends adrian and they're like no need that's for you to write like <laughs> that's your book i was like oh okay i also have to say that i haven't spent a lot of time dating um, cishet men and um, you know that that has felt like um, exactly. a gift in my life in this period right <laughs> that I have the option that I feel genuine attraction to mm. um, women and trans people and you know I have so many friends so many people in my life who I adore who are just sort of like oh my god if I could just <laughs> if I could just right you know turn be, on that part of me because it would be I easier because I because I, I was um, trying to figure it out because I was like dang but what what I'm saying is at longing got fulfilled by me mm -hmm. finding that with the self I think that there's that's this right. circle that's come that comes toward the end where it's like well this is all about the pleasure you find on your journey with yourself whether that be, it's true. you know. And it's like your pleasure, hopefully, is allowing both of you yeah. to find freedom, right? Like mm. the men that I do have as lovers, the thing that works about it is that I am inviting them into a masculinity that, that allows them more room. Mm -hmm. That has been mm -hmm. one of the great 
pleasures of my adult life Mm -hmm. is finding that there are actually a lot of men who want more space, Mm -hmm. not to be even, you know, bottoming or receptive or, you know, anything like that, but just like to be whole human beings, Mm -hmm. to not just fit into like, here's what you said, here's what someone said a man does when it's pleasure time. Mm -hmm. And here's what someone else said a woman does. And so you just have to like live in those limitations. Absolutely. and I find, I hope that pleasure activism creates more space for people to just be like, gender is mostly construct. Yeah. Race is mostly construct. Yeah. The way we think of bodies is mostly construct. Like, these are, are not useful constructs for mm-hmm. us anymore. They mm-hmm. may have helped our ancestors do something, even if it's unclear what, but they're no longer useful constructs for us. So... What are the constructs or what are the ways that we want to build our relationships with each other now? And I have had a lot of that, you know, coming to me and saying, like, um, a lot of the parts of the the columns that were written for Bitch Magazine once Me Too started unfolding, Mm -hmm. which are like, you know, here's what consent looks like. Here's how you get in a different relationship with your fantasy life. Here's how you, you know, hear a no. Um, Here's how you deal with like being triggered in the sexual experience. Those are the those are the pieces that tend to resonate the most with the cis het men who are mm-hmm. reading these reading the book right now. At least that's what I'm hearing from them. Mm. Absolutely, that's beautiful. Yeah. We're so grateful for you, Adrian. We could talk to you for a gazillion Literally years, forever. We, we didn't even talk to you about Octavia, and we're <laughs> like, we, huge. yeah, we wouldn't talk about Octavia and Beyonce. We like, didn't even we're get like there. Huge Octavia oh and Beyonce goodness. stands, but. That just means <gasps> we can never talk about either of them enough. No, no, we can't. It's so hard. So we <laughs> hope to talk to you again, and next time we'll be in Octavia. Just love, love fest, fest. Right. and beyond. That sounds good. <laughs> Thank you yes, so you much. This was amazing. Thank you for your time yeah, and you. sharing. I appreciate both of you. Lots of love. Thanks for engaging the work, and thanks for continuing to uplift this pleasure to the rest of the world. Oh, I'm glad to be comrades with y'all. How, Adrian? Can you tell our listeners where to find your book, where to find you, if they don't know already? Let's see. Um, I spend a lot of time on Instagram. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I checked. It's my favorite of the social medias. Um, So if you're like looking for me on social media that's the place um you can read about pleasure activism i have a pleasure activism instagram um which is called uh pleasure activism the book mm-hmm. um and then an emergent strategy instagram which is just emergent strategy and then my own and i post across all three of them and then facebook there's an emergent strategy page um and a pleasure activism page and I'm mostly just posting events there so people can find ways to be in physical space around this work and the book is available like all over the place now yeah, i keep being surprised by where folks are finding it so community bookstores for sure it's on all the big like you know places you can order it online but my favorite place for people to get the book from is actually to order it from ak press directly mm-hmm. so that's akpress.org mm-hmm. it means the bulk of the profit actually goes to them as mm-hmm. a small community press and to me as a independent writer so awesome um yeah ak press thank you adrian mm-hmm. have a great pleasurable day 
Thank you for all the erotic Thank moments. You. I will carry them with I you. I love you. I had today. a lot of zings myself. Yes! So I'm excited. I hope that our listeners get zinged up too. So. Oh, I love it. Lots of love. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Take it Have easy, y'all. Bye. Bye. Bye.